Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Amen, amen, amen. You know why they were so on target today? We had worship night Thursday night. How many were there? That was powerful. Amen. Well, here we are. You want to go home now or? Okay. Just want to see where you're at. Uh, we have, uh, uh, last night was the state championship girls basketball in the state. And we have five girls that come to church that were on the state championship team. That was uh, Mountain View High School. And Pastor Mark's daughter's on the team. Micaiah. Amen. Little Micaiah isn't so little anymore. So congratulations to Mountain View. Well, I have a message. I stayed up all night getting it ready. Not really. Actually, I thought about it all week. So what I want to do is pray. We'll get right into it. We'll see where God leads us, okay? I'm always going someplace. I'm starting out someplace so we can get someplace. Father, we just thank you. You are here this morning, and we're so grateful that you author our lives, you direct our steps. We thank you that you're active in our world. You have not died. Have you left us unclaimed? Lord, today I pray a special anointing upon each one of us. Open our ears and our hearts that we may see clearly and understand the will and the ways of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, do you know through our website, our podcast, we touch over 68 nations? And we go to U.S., of course, Canada, Spain, Mexico, Australia, Belgium, Russia, Botswana, Guatemala, Taiwan, and the list goes on. Do you know what the hot spot for listening to or watching our podcast in America is? I don't know why. It's Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Maybe Ohio State football team is watching because we have our football team here and they want to keep up with us or something. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, welcome all of you online from wherever it might be, California, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Wyoming, wherever it is, welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to, uh, I have 10 pages. So if I do four minutes a page or X out some things, we'll, we'll get, yeah, good luck, huh, Stan? So I've often wondered why is the church in America to many degrees uh, somewhat barren and powerless? 
For instance, when Stan and I will go overseas to different places, uh, it seems that there is, no matter where you go, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that, 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 that overshadows what happens here. Could it be our expectancy? Could it be that we don't need God? What is it? Well, I'm... Uh, I think we're going to try to find that out today. We become barren, but in our nation, in our church, but we hide our condition with a lot of excuses. Have you, have you ever noticed how Christians defend God? Try to make excuses for God. Well, you know, he's just, you know, we, we just make excuses. The same thing happened in the book of Samuel, Samuel chapter one. There's a story of Hannah Hannah's story describes her desperation to have a child to be fruitful. She was one of two wives of Elkanah, and she had a great relationship with her husband, but she could not have a child. She was blessed in many ways, but she didn't have children. It's kind of like the American church. We're blessed in many ways, but we're not fruitful. All of our love for God should always lead to fruitfulness, and that, that's why we should expect God to cause fruitfulness in our lives. Yeah. Hannah and Elkanah had a great relationship, but there still was something missing. She was blessed, but was void of fruitfulness. She grew so desperate that she cried out to God and refused to go until he blessed her with a child. Now that's pretty significant. Yeah, During the meantime, she was continually being provoked by Alcana's other wife, Panina. She would mock and provoke her because she had children. She would bless. It seemed like she was more fruitful. I think in a, in a similar way, the church is being mocked by, by the Paninas of this world. If your God is so powerful, why can't he heal cancer? If your God is so powerful, why can't he change the circumstances in your life? Why can't he bring fruitfulness in you? We hear that. You've heard that. I've heard that. I believe that we're in a, in a time, and it says in chapter 1 of First Samuel, it says that the word of God was lacking in that day. There was not much of the word of God. Well, that tells you something right there. It's time for the church to move beyond our own excuses and see God's power poured out. I don't believe it's just, it just belongs to God to do that. I think we have to cooperate with God to see it happen. We've got to get to a place of desperation. And so what happened is Hannah had such a level of desperation that she threw herself before God and refused to leave the altar until he heard her. Have you ever done that? She would not stop crying out. I've got to have a child. I've got to have fruitfulness. She became so anguished, so distressed, that the people around her thought she had completely lost it. In fact... The head, the ch chief priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. 
A lot of spiritual discernment he had. That's why he didn't last very long. <laughs> the story's kind of tragic for him. I won't go into that. But something was being birthed in her through this desperation. Her barrenness was going to be broken. She's going to give birth to the son of promise. Of course, we all know Samuel came from this desperation. It took desperation to get her to that place. What is it going to take for us to get to the place of God's pouring out? I, we know God's presence in our meetings. I mean, every time, that was awesome worship today. I felt his presence. But we need fruitfulness too. The church was born to demonstrate the power of God with signs and wonders. And far too long we have continued to our programs with a lot of words but little power. What does that mean? I, don't, I think it means that we're not pushing and pressing and desperate for God. I think it's time to become desperate. I think it's time to, in many ways, to come to a realization of what God wants us to do and how to do it. So I'm going to take you there today. I, every time I preach, I have to give you the whole picture. Uh, that's just the way I, I speak and I preach. You've got to understand the whole picture to understand where we fit. Now, let's go back a little bit. You have to understand. I mean, there, I, there's, this is a four-part message. I just got done with part one. Now we're going to go to part two. You ready? You with me? Okay, you have to understand this that I'm going to explain to you right now. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden with a mission. I'm going back to this because you have to understand this because this is your mission. They were put there with a mission, on a mission. They were to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion. It was God's intention that they bore many children who also lived under God's rule that they would extend the boundaries of his garden or his government through their devotion to God. Now, I just about did another message this morning on boundaries because it's so powerful in Scripture. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll do that another Sunday. It, it goes along with what I'm saying today. But God placed us, we are Adam's children, and he placed us in charge of planet Earth. Psalm 115.16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Now, Satan didn't come. We know the story, so I'm not going to reiterate the story. But Satan didn't come into the garden violently and take possession because he couldn't, because he had no dominion there. His dominion was not the earth. In order to get the keys of dominion over the planet earth, he would have to get his authority from them through their agreement to his suggestions or deception in opposition to God. That's, 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 and that's what the devil does to you. In, in Romans chapter 1, it, calls about, it talks about the lie. What's the lie? It's Satan's attempt every time to come to you and make you think that you can be like God and you can do everything on your own. Independence. And through that agreement, Satan was enabled to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that he, 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 he deceived them in such a way that they came in agreement with his words. Even today, Satan is empowered only through man's agreement. 
Did you hear me? Only through man's agreement. And in that one act of agreement with Satan and eating of the forbidden fruit, all that Adam owned, including the title deed to earth, with its corresponding position of rule, became part of the devil's spoil. And he owned it. But that was the very moment that God's predetermined plan of redemption kicked in. God knew this was going to happen. God's plan of rulership for man never ceased. His commands to Adam and Eve are still ours. Jesus came to bear man's penalty for sin and recapture what had been lost. That's why it says in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, you've got to get past Christianity being about you. This isn't a self-help organization. I'm not going to write a book so you can get better about yourself. You need to come into understanding of what Jesus has done and what he wants you to do in, in this life. You don't get saved just so you have, you know, have fire insurance, life insurance, you get to go to heaven. You are saved so you can be on a mission. And until we get that, we're going to have barrenness. Until we understand that, we're not going to see the power of God. But once we get past this thing being about us, and I just feel better when I go to church, and I fill a pew, and the worship is good, and I just feel so good when I leave. It's not about that. It's about what God wants to do in you to fill you with his power and purpose on your mission to reclaim the earth. Mm. You see, we're right in the middle of this reclamation project. And what are we doing? We're going around the earth and just kind of, well, it's nice to be here. What do I do this morning? How about getting out there and talking to some people about Jesus? Or rebuking the devil here and there? Come on, you understand what I'm saying? So, this is interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. Remember in in the book of Luke, Satan, uh, Jesus goes in the wilderness and spends 40 days in prayer and fasting. Do you know what Satan tried to do? Satan tried to short circuit the plan of Jesus coming back to reclaim the earth right in that wilderness. He tried to get Jesus at his most vulnerable moment. He's hungry. He's man. He's hungry. Have you ever done a 40-day fast? Now, there's not one head going up and down. (laughs) But Satan comes in that wilderness. He tries to short-circuit this plan that God has. He says this, all this authority, see this? All this authority I will give you if you will worship before me. And he had the authority to say that. People don't realize that. Satan had the authority because he had the title deed. He knew that Jesus had come back to reclaim the authority that man had given away. He says, worship me and I'll give you the keys back. So Satan offers this shortcut to his goal of recapturing the keys of authority that man had lost through sin. But Jesus said no. Then he quotes scripture. 
and he refused to give him any honor. He had come to die, and nothing else would work. You see, Satan was defeated by a man, the Son of Man. Now when we receive the work of Christ in our lives on the cro- based upon what Jesus did on the cross, we become grafted into his victory. Yeah. Now you didn't understand what I just said. You have the same victory that Jesus had on the cross when he died, was buried, was resurrected. When you come into Christ, you have the same victory. You have the same authority. And you can say what heaven wants said and it will be done on earth. That's, that's the truth. But Satan, have you ever noticed this? Satan will always come around to try to give you a shortcut. Satan's the master of shortcuts. But they never work out. Don't take it. So Jesus comes along and he retrieves what man had given away. He said, all authority. Now, follow me now. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. He's telling this to us. Go therefore. This is in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. He says basically this, I got it all back. Now go use it and reclaim mankind. This is a fulfillment of the promise that he gave to the disciples in Matthew 16, 18, and 19 when he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and you'll be able to bind and loose. Do you understand the power that Jesus gave to us? He says, greater things you will do than I have done. See, the original plan that I just talked to you about just a few minutes ago, and I'm going over this real fast, but the original plan was never aborted, but rather fully realized at the resurrection and the ascension. God's plan of ruling as his people on the earth is now restored. He wants us to learn how to enforce the victory obtained at Calvary. We're the executive branch of government. For those of you who aren't civics majors or whatever, there's three branches of government. There's the executive, enforces the law. Legislative, it it makes the law. And the judicial, it interprets the law. We're the executive branch. The the legislative and judicial branch have already okayed all of this. We're now the executive branch, and we're to enforce the law that Jesus put forth before us. You understand that? That's, That's a good metaphor. Hmm. Romans 16.20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. (laughs) That's what it says. Not just stomp him a little bit. Crush, 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 crush. You ever stepped on a... No, we even better not go there. Can I, can I say it this way? You were born to rule. Rule over creation. Rule over darkness. You were, you were made to plunder hell and establish the rule of Jesus by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. When sin entered, creation was infected by darkness, such as disease and sickness and afflicting spirits and poverty, disasters, demonic, demonic influence. Our rule is still over creation, but it's now focused on exposing and undoing the works of the devil. Yes. 
We were given the keys to the kingdom, authority to trample over all the powers of hell. Have you ever been in a, have you ever been in a setting where a person comes in totally possessed by the devil? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation like that? I have. And it's fascinating, the power of God over devils and demons. You speak to it and has, you tell it what to do, this devil or demon, whatever. It has to listen if you are filled with the Spirit. If you're not, I wouldn't dare come close to this thing. But you can speak, and they must listen and obey. And you, you begin to understand the authority that we have. Not, but it's a, it's a loving authority. It's a serving authority. You don't rule out of the way the world rules. You rule out of love and servant, servanthood. So, since we have the keys, then God's entire treasure house of resources, his royal chambers, is at our, is at our disposal in order to fulfill his commission. Do you think God would give you a commission without the weapons or without the resources to fulfill the commission? No. We also, now listen to me carefully. You've been given the keys of the kingdom. Oh my word. We also control who gets in to see the king and who doesn't. By your silence, and lack of sharing with people, you cut them off because you have the key. You cut them off from entering to the king. That's just a little scary to me. In other words, your lack of using your keys can actually restrict people from entering the kingdom of God. By our silence, we restrict people. Oh, that just... Okay, you, you caught all that now? Okay, here's the third. This is the third part of this message. I'm actually doing pretty good. Okay, the third thing you have to realize, so we understand our desperation, we understand God's plan, now we have to implement what what we're talking about. And there's two, two ways to implement. The first I'm going to talk about is we have to understand the power of faith. Faith is anchored in the unseen. Faith lives from the invisible toward the visible. Faith actually, I'm, I'm going to say some, I'm going to do a bunch of one-liners so you better get ready here. I got a bunch of, I have two or three pages of one-liners here. Now listen to this. Faith actualizes what it realizes. Faith provides eyes for the heart. Jesus expects people to see from the heart. And a heart that doesn't see is a hard heart. All of the Father's resources, all of his benefits are accessible through faith. Seek first the kingdom of God, it says. Set your mind on things above, not on things in the earth. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we must turn our attention to the invisible, basically is what he's saying. God is intent on us learning how to see from the invisible to the visible. One of the best and first ways to see is in the environment of worship. I'm telling you, I get most of my revelation in worship. 
I'll put my headphones on during the day and turn on to a Hillsong or a Beth, you know, Bethel or, you know, whatever song that just is on my playlist and I'll start worshiping God and all of a sudden I get these thoughts. Where'd that come from? Whoa, what's, whoa, wow, that's powerful. It does, it happens that way because God is attempting to stir the pipe. You've got crusty pipes and he's trying to move through you. It's almost like, uh, you know, taking Drano, pouring it down. We, I, my shower was, it wasn't doing well the other day. So I took Drano and I poured it down there and whoop, there, there it goes. What is, what is happening with us? Some, we're too backed up. We're, we, we, our, our, our pipes are all crusted over. They're rusty. What does worship do? It unclogs us. It's the Drano of heaven. one of the best ways, the first ways to see is in the environment of worship. Now, I, I believe this. Now, why do I believe this? Because in 1973, I walked into the back of a church. I walked in the back door. I'd never seen this before. I was from a denominational church and hadn't seen any kind of worship in my entire life. I came in the back door and I saw revelation coming out. The sound of worship was like the sound of many waters. It was so powerful, I fell to my knees and I was never the same again. You guys are too used to it. We get used to the presence. We get used to the anointing and the power of God. And so that changed me. Psalms 22.3 says, the throne of God is established upon the praises of his people. And was. We learn in the setting of worship the things that go way beyond what our intellect can grasp. You're going to get revelation from heaven. Heaven's going to come down. But most important, you will, you will begin to understand the value of his presence. David learned that the, the presence of God affected his seeing. And as we learn to worship with purity of heart, our eyes will continue to open and we will see what he wants us to see. The invisible realm is superior to the natural. I want to get in to the invisible. Faith is anchored in the unseen. Whereas the natural realm is the anchor of unbelief. People of faith are realists. They just have their foundation in a superior reality. Unbelief is actually faith in something other than God. But when we submit our mind to the things of God, we end up with faith and a renewed mind. Because the mind makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Oh, that was the best phrase I said all morning. It's a, it's a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. You better have your mind in control. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know this scripture. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. Faith, you gotta, come on people, you gotta stay with me. Faith is the mirror of the heart that reflects the realities of his world into ours. It is the substance of the unseen world. There is a world out there that we don't see that's more powerful and more real than what we see. And it's eternal. 
And through prayer, we are able to pull that reality into this one, and that's how faith functions. Have you ever gone to a pizza place before and you order your pizza and they give you a number and a receipt and you go sit down? You place that number, you know, so they, in a prominent place so they can see it. Someone may come in and, and say, you know, talk to you and say, well, you're not going to get your pizza here. But I know when number 21 is done, that pizza's mine. That number is the substance of the pizza hoped for. If someone tells me that number isn't good, I'll, I'll point to my receipt. I point to my receipt. It verifies the value of my number. And when my pizza's done, the waiter walks around and he looks for number 21. And I get my pizza. Did you catch what I'm talking about here? How does the product of heaven know where to land? The Holy Spirit looks for the substance, the number. If a question comes up over the validity of my number, my receipt, which is contained in the Bible, of course, which verifies my right to both the number and the pizza, because faith is the currency of heaven. This is so good. And I'm not done yet. Faith comes by hearing. Now, you've heard this. Faith comes by hearing. It does not say it comes from having heard. It is the listening heart in the present tense that is ready for heaven's deposit of faith. The whole nature of faith implies a relationship with God that is current. You must be hearing in the now. You can't be listening and hearing from 10 years ago. My faith is an abiding faith. It's active. It's aggressive by nature. It has focus and purpose. Faith grabs a hold of the reality of the kingdom of what we, I talked about earlier and forcefully and violently brings it into a collision with this natural kingdom. An inferior kingdom cannot stand against my faith in the eternal kingdom. I got my number. For one who has faith, nothing is impossible. I have all these illustrations coming to mind. I don't know if I have time to do them. Um, I, I'll never forget this. When God spoke to me in Washington, D.C. in 1999 and in 2000, the end of 1999, 2000, that we were to purchase a house. The Lord pointed to the house that we were to do, and I walked to the door with nothing other than my number. I had faith. I knocked on the door. Bob Thompson opened the door. He said, uh, hello. I said, hello, I'd like to buy your house. He said, really? Well, come on in. We walked in. 
We talked for a while and find out we had common friends. And I said, uh, what do you want for it? So he gave me the number and in my mind I'm going, whoa. <laughs> but God, you said. So I walked out the door with not a dime towards this. But within six months, God had given us $150,000 and we bought the house. When I closed, when I closed that and walked out the door after we had purchased it, six months later, June of 2000, I turned and looked at the address, 137 C Street Southeast. God says, have you ever read Luke 137? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. Well, I know the context. For with God, nothing is impossible. It's the story given to Mary. Be it done to me according to your word. Mary had the number. I had the number. Are you catching it? This is in every area of our lives. Small things, big things. Family things, business things. All of us, we just need the number, which is verified by the receipt. Faith is not the absence of, of doubt. It's the presence of belief. I may not always feel that I have great faith. In fact, I don't. When, I have, when I'm in a faith situation, I'm not feeling anything, really. But I can always obey. Let me say it this way. It's a mistake to examine your faith. Where's my faith? What's going on here? Here's, here's what I do. When God speaks, just obey quickly. I'll give you an illustration of this. Back in, I won't even tell you what year. It's too far ago. Connie and I were in, were, were in a church, the church before we came here, and there was a call by God to give so much money for the building fund, and, and we felt, we just went, it, the Spirit of God just came up, boom! And at that time, it was $3,000. Now, that was a lot of money back then. That's like about 30000 now, I think. But the Lord spoke to me and spoke to Connie. We said, well we got to do this. And my wages weren't even, I wouldn't even tell you what I made. But all of a sudden, God started doing some things in us. And within one year, not only had we given $3,000, but God gave us a house. And I'll, I could go down the list of everything God did for us because we just had faith. You see, faith doesn't, it just needs your, your application by your obedience. And when God speaks, don't analyze it. Just do it. You know, become a Nike person. Just do it. The word Nike is actually a biblical term. It's nikao. It's overcome. Be victorious. I'm just telling you, obedience comes from faith. Once you have faith, just do it. You know, for instance, a car may have several hundred horsepower, but the car will go nowhere until the clutch is released or the gears are engaged, right? This connects the power contained in the running motor 
and transfers that power to the wheels. It's the same thing with faith. Faith is your clutch. We have all the power of heaven behind us. But it is our faith that connects what is available to the circumstances at hand. Faith takes what is available and makes it actual. Here's the summary. And then I'll get to my last section. Faith is a mirror of the heart that reflects the realities of an unseen world, the actual substance of his kingdom. And through the prayer of faith, we are able to pull the reality of his world into this one. That is the function of faith. It's your clutch that pulls from heaven's domain into earth's realm. Are you with me? Last section. I could stop here, but this is the best. Okay? Here's the fourth thing. We need to learn how to pray heaven down. You gotta have faith, but then you need to learn how to pray heaven down. If you want anything from God, you will have to pray it into heaven. That is where it all is. Uh, John G. Lake said, the church has been negligent in one thing. She has not prayed the power of God out of heaven. Here's a statement. If you pray, he will come. I think there's this old movie, if you build it, you know, they will come. Thing. I just thought. Biblical prayer is always accompanied by radical obedience. God's response to prayer with obedience always releases the nature of heaven into our circumstances. There's two real priorities of prayer. Now, there's all, we have supplication, intercession, petition. We have all these, these prayer things. But I'm going to give you the two real priorities of prayer. It's given to you in, in the Lord's Prayer. The two real priorities are intimacy with God that is expressed in worship. Because the Lord's Prayer starts out with praise and worship and ends with praise and worship. The second thing, the second priority is to bring his kingdom to earth and establish his dominion over the needs of mankind. That's why he goes through, you know, uh, let his kingdom come, let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then gives, it lists out the things you need to pray for. Food, you know, the bread, it talks about forgiveness, it talks about overcoming evil, all those things you need to pray through because as disciples, we're both citizens and ambassadors of another world. This world is our assignment, but it's not our home. Our purpose is eternal. The resources needed to complete our assignment are unlimited. Here's the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means respected, revered. It's the expression of praise. Praise and worship are the primary activities of heaven. Go to Revelation and tell me what happens in heaven. You, you will be saying that pray, praise and worship is happening. And we need to, if it's happening in heaven, we need to be have, have a happening on earth. The more we live as citizens of heaven, the more heaven's activities infect our lifestyle. That was good. So our number one priority in ministry is actually worship. That doesn't just mean singing. That means our devotion. That means everything about our lives. He inhabits our praises. We, when you thank God, you're praising. And God actually responds with a literal invasion of heaven to earth through your worship. Heaven touches earth. And whatever is done in heaven is done on earth. And whatever is not allowed in heaven is not allowed on earth. That's the, the point that we've got to come to. 
That's why Isaiah 42, 13 says, the Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. And then we see the next phrase after our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the primary focus for all prayer. Let me say it this way. If it exists in heaven, it is to be loosed on earth. Ooh. If it exists in heaven, it is to be loosed on earth. That's what it's saying. It is the praying Christian who looses heaven's expression here. When the believer prays according to the revealed word of God, faith grabs a hold of that reality and doesn't let go. And such an invasion causes the circumstances here to line up with heaven. Everything that happens here is supposed to be a shadow of heaven. That's why you're here, not to get saved and go to heaven. You're here to fulfill a mission, commission, and bring heaven down to earth. Every revelation that God gives us of heaven is to equip us with a prayer focus. Ask God for revelation of heaven. Here's a question. This, this, this boggles, I'm, I don't have an answer for this question. So how much of heaven has God purposed to become manifest here on earth? I don't know. But I know this. The will of God is seen in the ruling presence of God. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's always liberty. In other words, wherever the spirit of the Lord is demonstrating the lordship of Jesus, liberty is always the result. Where the king of kings manifests his dominion, the fruit of the, that dominion is always liberty. Liberty in your spirit, liberty in your soul, liberty in your body. God, in response to our cries, brings his world into ours. If it's not free to exist in heaven, it must be bound here. And through our prayers, we are to exercise authority given to us. Der Derek Prince says this, and because this is why praise, praise and worship, Derek Prince was a, a great minister several decades ago. I knew him personally, and he said this, if you only have 10 minutes to pray a day, you should spend about eight praising God. It's amazing how much you can pray for in the two minutes you have left when you start with praise. So prayer has two main objectives. Minister to God out of an intimate relationship. In other words, praise, worship. Number two, bring the reality of his rulership to earth. In other words, what are you, what are you doing? You're setting up a heaven franchise. Follow me here. You're setting up a heaven franchise every time you pray. By purchasing a franchise of a restaurant, you would be investing your money to obtain its name and all that goes with it. The menus, the unique design, the management program, the quality of training for workers. You'd be required to follow the prescribed standards established in the flagship restaurant. The color scheme would be the same as well as the furnishings and menu items. In essence, you would superimpose the main restaurant over each new location until all the locations looked alike. You see this. You see it in Starbucks. You see it in the restaurants you know, that are national in scope. When we pray for his kingdom to come, we are asking him to superimpose the orders, rules, and benefits of his world over this one until this one looks like his. Oh, that was good. That's what happens 
when the sick are healed or the demonized are set free. You're superimposing his world over this one. His world collides with the world of darkness and his world always wins. Our battle is always a battle for dominion. That's why Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're ambassadors representing another world. I want to end with this. Are you catching this? Because I think in prayer many times, um, we get, uh, and I, this happens a lot with, with intercessors and those who've been in, involved in prayer. Too many times I think we get, we hear what God is saying and we get anxious because we don't know how he's going to do it. You don't have to worry about how he's going to do it. Remember the story when Jesus was sleeping in the boat? The storm came up, the disciples woke him up because they, they thought they were dying, Right? And what did he do? He woke up, he exercised his authority and released peace over the storm. It was the peace of heaven that allowed him to sleep. You see, he was in the midst of heaven's authority, so he didn't have to worry about a storm. And it was the same peace that subdued the storm because he is the Prince of Peace. Well, I'm gonna throw something out. This is a one-liner you can write down. You only have authority over the storm you can sleep in. If I'm filled with anxiety in any given situation, it becomes hard for me to release peace because I can only give what I have. Authority functions from heaven's peace. That's why when you get in the midst of these things with the devil, just allow God to give you peace. Jesus actually wanted them to still the storm by exercising the authority he had given to them, but because of their anxiety, they asked him to do it instead. What do we're doing the same thing? We ask God to take care of all our situations when He's saying, You have authority, you take authority, you speak to it, and you bring peace to it. Wow. Did you catch something? Here's your assignment I want you to get a prayer journal. I want you to begin today. You can, if you want it. Some of you are computer geeks and you like to do it on a computer, that's fine. I decided I'm a little bit old school, so I, I got this journal. I want you daily to write down what you see in the spirit. Don't do all the, I'm not talking about just your normal journaling, what you see. And then begin to write down what God speaks to you to pray over and bring from heaven to earth. Does that, does that make sense? Just the revelation that God gives you this week begins to speak to you in your prayer time. You become close to him in this prayer time and he gives you, and all of a sudden, now, not only are you having good relationship, but fruitfulness is starting to come. I'm gonna ask you to write those revelations down and then begin to pray them into existence. Okay? That's all I got. Well, I, I have a bunch of more, but. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we 
We need your help, Lord. Lord, we want our minds to be changed. We want our faith to arise. We want our prayers to be real. We want to take the authority that you've given to us, Lord, and once again, bring heaven to earth. Through our prayers, let this be the year that Capital Church, and Lord, even every, every believer in America, Lord, this is the year that we began to bring heaven to earth as we prayed your will into our lives and existence. Doesn't matter, Lord, whether we're at school, we're, we're at work, home, family, business situations, Lord, we can call your attention to it and we can bring heaven to earth. There's gonna be anxious moments for us, Lord, but you want us to take authority over the storm. And I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would, you begin to cause great fruitfulness to just erupt in our spirit. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.